There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's August 24th, 394 AD, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. It's faintly astonishing to think that until around the beginning of the 19th century, we modern-ish humans had really no idea how to read hieroglyphics. So it must have been with a certain amount of excitement, followed by a slight feeling of disappointment, that after the Rosetta Stone was cracked, the last ever inscription written in hieroglyphs, which was carved on this day in the year 394, was finally deciphered and found effectively to read, I was ear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, more specifically, before Mandulus, son of Horus, by the hand of Nesmetarachum, son of Nesmeta, the second priest of Isis, for all time and eternity, words spoken by Mandulus, lord of the Abaton, great god. And it was written in hieroglyphs, and then it was written underneath in demotic, which we'll get into, but it was kind of like a handwriting version of hieroglyphs. And that demotic inscription added that today is the birthday of Osiris, his dedication feast, year 110, which is the reason we're able to date it to this precise day. the person who created this carved figure of the god was a priest and in that less formal bit of writing underneath uh, he also mentions the name of his mother as a it which is just classic graffiti stuff isn't it like here for posterity <laughs> yeah. is the name of my mum i mean he's yeah. a priest he's supposed to be writing down the words of god as they come through him but he takes the yeah. time to say my dad was this guy and this was my mum yeah it's like it's like a cross between a cv a family tree and a pledge of devotion but it's a succinct reminder of the purpose of writing things down through history yeah. which i think we lose in this world of uh, daily glib history podcasts is that <laughs> before there was microblogging people used to write stuff so that it would be read in centuries time yeah and i guess also it's significant that it was chiseled into a wall that's how it has survived for Mm. so darn long so this was inscribed in the temple of isis at philae which was formerly an island in the first cataract of the nile but relocated as a result of the aswan dam and is now on an island in lake nasur in southern egypt and actually i've I've been there i went on a trip up the nile in one of those dahaiba boats but to be honest i had no idea at the time that this was the temple that had the last known hieroglyphics on it so i sort of must have just strolled past this thing of great significance without paying proper attention to it and although the inscription doesn't seem to be the most exciting message in the world there is quite a lot that we can take from it one thing is that philae actually also contains the last demotic inscriptions this less formal version of hieroglyphs and that was inscribed about 100 years after this and what is seen in a lot of those late inscriptions is a lot of names just like in this one a lot of family names what historians think is that by the end so by about the mid 400s there was only possibly one family that was still upholding these traditions. At this point, Hieroglyphs had been limping along for a few centuries. They had been almost completely displaced as a used script that anybody would have known. So by this point, the reason that people were writing family names so much could have been that it was really only this family that was still paying attention. And the Mm. year 110 in the inscription 
refers to the reign of Diocletian, who was long dead at this point, of course. He was seen as the last pagan emperor before the Christianized Roman emperors who cracked down on the pagan temples and the pagan religion. So it's, almost, it's kind of touching, I think, that they were still hanging on to the reign of this long dead emperor because it was considered their one remaining link to Egypt's pagan religion. Yeah, and Diocletian is also very significant to the story of why any sort of pagan belief and practice was going on at this particular temple, because he had shifted the Egyptian borders of the Roman Empire back to Aswan, and this border change left Philae outside of the empire, which allowed the temple to survive. And so it was possible for this temple at Philae to endure due to the patronage actually of this Blemi tribe who lived in the Red Sea Hills, and they uh, followed the old Egyptian religions. And I think that makes the part of the inscription where the priest says he wishes it will last for all time and eternity particularly touching. He was aware that he was the last of his kind. Yeah, it's not look on my great works, ye mighty in despair. It's just like, <laughs> still here. Yeah, still yeah. here. I'm the last person who can do this. <laughs> well, yeah. And he knew that almost nobody would have been able to read the hieroglyphs by this point. You know, we were talking about the Christianized of Egypt. But even before that, Alexander the Great conquered Egypt in 332 BC, and that kicked off centuries of Greek rule, including setting up Greek colonies, imposing Greek culture, building new cities, and all of that contributed to Greeks slowly displacing Egyptian, particularly in the cities. And hieroglyphs were replaced by the Coptic alphabet, which was derived from Greek, and that was being used to write Egyptian. So hieroglyphs just weren't Mm. useful for ordinary people anymore. And there is actually, this is how hieroglyphs do live on in a weird way. The Coptic language which is not spoken by anyone as a native language anymore, but it is still the liturgical language of the Coptic Christians. So some of those letters in the Coptic alphabet do come originally from hieroglyphs. So in a weird way, they do still wow. exist, kind of, in a tiny way. <laughs> okay, so as Arian alluded to in the intro, it wasn't until unbelievably the 1800s that Egyptologists in the West were able to read what any hieroglyphs said because it was the Rosetta Stone and the discovery of that that allowed them to decode the alphabet that was being used and specifically it was the Frenchman Charmolian's revelation that the Egyptians used symbols to represent sounds as well as nouns that allowed it to be read because they'd identified that sometimes when people do a picture of a house it means house and sometimes when people do a picture of a bird it means bird but sometimes there were things that looked like things that everyone was like oh that must mean dog and actually no it's like it's an n <laughs> once they worked yeah. that out <laughs> then they could actually begin to read what was being meant so even though it is quite a pedestrian inscription it still must have been really exciting to hear these words unmediated yeah. via classical scholarship unmediated via the bible hearing what ancient Egyptians actually sounded like, although they don't use vowels, do they? But nonetheless, basically what they sounded like. Yeah, I think there's still quite a lot of guesswork involved in trying to work out what ancient Egyptians sounded like. And hieroglyphics are sort of useless in helping us figure out quite a lot of this because it's got no punctuation, so you don't know where a word or a phrase uh, starts and ends. But additionally, unlike, say, modern English, Hieroglyphs aren't necessarily read horizontally from left to right, but they can be written, you know, left to right or right to left or even vertically up bottom to top or top to bottom. So it had been really difficult for scholars to work out even the direction of travel of individual words to try to piece them together. Oh, and it's amazing the extent to which knowledge of the whole system had just been totally lost to the point that medieval writers had absolutely no idea how the language even worked. And 
often Western writers ascribe to them allegorical and magical meanings. You know, they weren't seeing this as an alphabet representing a spoken language. They were seeing it as like these are mysterious Egyptian spells, you know, especially because a lot of them right. are on temples and other religious grounds. Turn the dial to the right and avoid the pit of snakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think obviously part of it is that hieroglyphs have been dying out for such a long time before this final inscription. And also the fact that even in the first place, only a very small handful of elite people knew how to read them. And that was the priestly class. The whole reason that the demotic script was invented was because a written language became more useful for more people as Egypt developed. So you had merchants, etc., who needed to be able to write messages and keep records. So they developed this sort of handwriting version. But there were only ever a tiny, tiny class of people who actually knew how to write and read the full hieroglyph inscriptions. So who were they really trying to communicate with? I mean, I suppose it does matter that your priest and noble class thinks that you're a pretty worthy leader. But at the same time, literacy was just so fractional back in uh, ancient Egypt. About 10% of the wider population is right. top estimate. You know, it's it's unsurprising in a way that this script died out. But it's also amazing that 10% of the population was literate, given that books hadn't been invented. Right. True. I mean, I still think it's incredible yeah. that they developed this alphabet and this system, and quite a lot of complexity too. So in addition to the ideograms, which are the the ones that show what they mean, like the picture of the bird meaning the bird, and the phonograms, which are the ones that tell you what sound things have, they also had determinatives. So signs which indicate what kind of meaning the previous word had. So you could write an ideogram and a phonogram that could then actually only really be correctly interpreted by the use of the determinative afterwards. It's quite sophisticated, isn't it? One of the things I discovered is that the second oldest joke in recorded human history is apparently written in uh, hieroglyphs. <laughs> it derives from this incredibly old storybook known as the West Car Papyrus from uh, 1600 BC. Uh, and I should say up front that any comedian who tried to deliver this today would immediately get A, booed off stage and B, probably also cancelled. But anyway, it goes, how do you entertain a bored pharaoh? And the answer is, you sail a boatload of young women dressed only in fishing nets down the Nile and urge the pharaoh to go catch but a fish. that's good, because that is one of the examples. You know when people say, oh, it's this, the oldest joke in history, and you're like, I ain't get it. And they're like, well, you'd have to understand things that we can't yeah, yeah, yeah. understand about the society. Yeah. That one, at least you're like, oh, I get yes, it. Yes. Like, pharaoh-like that's, sexy girl. Yeah, that's like the audio description of a cartoon. <laughs> uh, there is, I should say, in this last hieroglyph, what looks to me very much like a penis in the top right. And so I was curious as to whether perhaps the most significant thing about this hieroglyph is not, in fact, that it's the last recorded one, but might be, in fact, the world's first dirty joke. So I did Google that. And no. Uh, oh, in nice. 2014, on the limestone cliffs of the remote Greek island of Astypalia, uh, was discovered some dick graffiti from the 5th century BC. Um, amongst the findings was an engraving that read... Nicasitimos was here mounting Timiona. <laughs> so I don't think that's appropriate for a temple wall though. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tomorrow. Guests will enjoy illusions such as the world's only levitating building. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAS Creator Network. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. 
Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 